I don't get where I play as long as I go number one in the draft. Connor McDavid. From the London Knights, Mitch Marner. From the Western Hockey League's Brandon Wheat Kings, Nolan Patrick. This is Tracking the Draft with Craig Button. He checks an enormous amount of boxes. Nobody in this draft did more with less. I absolutely love him. It's not his skills that anybody's concerned about. It's that playing attitude. Quite frankly, it's really poor. Speeding towards the future of the NHL. From the U.S. Development Program, Jacob Truba. From Faryastad of the Swedish Elite League, Jonas Brodin. From the Boston U Terriers, Brady Kachuk. He could play in the NHL next year. He's one of those guys. Here's your host, Dean Millard. Hello there and welcome to episode 3, season 2 of Tracking the Draft with Craig Button. The stars of tomorrow are discovered here. Uh, the director of scouting for TSN and former GM in the National Hockey League, Craig, will be, uh, will be by in just a few moments' time. And we're still kind of up in the air as far as what's going on in the hockey world. Of course, some leagues in Europe are up and running. The Ontario Hockey League is just a giant debacle right now, especially with uh, what happened over the weekend on Twitter, and we're going to discuss that uh, with Craig as well. And the junior leagues out west, uh, uh, the uh, uh, AJHL and some of the junior A leagues uh, do have some, I guess, bubble-like games going on, but it is a very different season uh, for not only the players, but those trying to evaluate them as well so greg and i are going to discuss a few of the top stories of the week uh the uh, coyotes renouncing the mitchell miller pick we're going to talk about that body contact story and uh, the process of chl players uh, jumping down to junior a some teams like the old grizzlies have said no we're not going to do it other teams have said yeah and so i'm not sure there's a right or wrong uh, i do applaud the teams that say we're not going to do it because you know, I'm not sure that it sends the right message to the other players that those spots are going to be taken if they're only there for a little bit. But I can also see where teams want to, you know, get the best players and uh, it makes their players better as well. So I, I can see both sides of it and we'll see what Craig has to say as well. Craig, by the way, joins us on the UFFS hotline. The Ultimate Fantasy Hockey League on the Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports platform is the most realistic. In fact, it's the only game out there of the fantasy variety that I've ever seen a scouting platform. That's right. You can scout the same players that Craig Button and other scouts in the NHL do because there is a scouting platform. It's the lifeblood of the UFHL. Owners like my franchise, we end up uh, bidding on players that the scouts find and list. So check it all out at uffsports.com. If you ever thought you could uh, be a good scout, here's your chance to put your money where your mouth is and make some money if the players that you end up with become big stars. So Craig joins us on the uh, UFFS hotline, and we will get to him in just a second. In this format, you own the game, so get in the game at www.uffsports.com. Some news and notes with Craig Button, and then we're going to dive into some mini profiles of five different players uh, when we chat with the director of scouting for TSN in just one second. 
here he is. The director of scouting for TSN, former GM of the Calgary Flames, and a Stanley Cup champion with the Dallas Stars. Plus, he's a sharp-dressed man with a heart of gold and a passion to match it. Craig Button. Craig, it is great to chat again, and uh, we start with something that we touched on last week, and uh, that was the drafting of Mitchell Miller uh, by the Arizona Coyotes, which has now been rescinded. Uh, there's talk of him going to the KHL, but just everything that surrounded it. I know you and I talked about this is not a new story in the hockey world, but some, I think, good came out of it in that a lot of light was shed on what a terrible situation it was, especially for Isaiah. Well, and, and primarily Isaiah and his family. I mean, really, that's, uh, you know, where, where we have to be focused. And I, I think that it's so important to recognize that there's no place for this type of behavior uh, anywhere. And so, you know, it doesn't matter what type of hockey player Mitchell Miller was. His actions were reprehensible. And the judgment and the judge in that case pointed that out very clearly but was just as reprehensible was what happened after that. The continued taunting, the lack of remorse, no apology. And to this date, as far as I know, Mitchell Miller still hasn't spoken. So all I can say is this, Mitchell Miller, your actions speak much louder than any words now. And I'll tell you what, the path to redemption for you to even be considered for a second opportunity in North America, it has just become longer because of your inaction and your lack of accountability. Well said, well said. Uh, another story that uh, made a lot of headlines and is still ongoing is the, um, I guess, very premature ruling of no body contact uh, for the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, and this story, the Premier of Ontario has said no decision has been made yet. But just your thoughts, first of all, on, on the possibility of playing a, a junior season in the Ontario Hockey League without body contact. Well, I mean, you can, you can play hockey without body contact i mean i play in adult leagues there's no body contact and i quite like it <laughs> so <laughs> yeah you, you can play without it okay let's like so let's just move on to the issue here dean real quickly right the health minister in ontario spoke not only prematurely very uh the the misinformation it was misguided and quite frankly it, it, it was wrong because not only was she declaring positions that were the case the, Premier Ford came out and said, no, no decisions have been made. And Darren Drager of TSN had reported that on a number of uh, instances that discussions were ongoing between the provincial government and the Ontario Hockey League to try to form uh, regulations around the return to play. And I mean, he, he, the, the Minister of, of Sport was very uh forthcoming and kind of downplaying darren drager's uh reporting he was absolutely right and the premier came out and said no decisions have been made now i i can only tell you this not only was it misguided and it was wrong i, I don't know how 
somebody that's a sport minister can suggest that taking out body checking from hockey is a way to prevent the spread of COVID-19. It's ridiculous. The health people in, in health talk about way more significant factors before you even get to body checking that lead to the spread of COVID-19. So not only was the, uh, the, the sports minister way ahead of, way ahead of, of any decision, it was also wrong. A hundred percent. And I just don't see that logic uh, of body contact being a spread when you're around these guys on the bench, the dressing room uh, and the bus. But it would be a, a very strange season for a lot of players to play, trying to uh, showcase their skills, especially if they are a physical player in the Ontario Hockey League. It would be a, a strange year, a, a strange way to evaluate players, would it not? Well, absolutely it would be, I, I, you know, you can assess the skating and the stick handling and the, and the ability to make plays, but it's not just players that play physically. The game requires, the, the, the game uh, allows for body contact. It would be like saying, we're going to go watch the NCAA and, and evaluate football players. And it's not going to be tackling. It's going to be flag football type mm -hmm. rules. Well, it's not hard to figure out who can run and who can catch and who can throw, but a significant element of the game is tackling and avoiding tackles and, and trying to push through. I mean, we have yards after catch when we look at receivers. We have, sure. you know, running backs that get through the line of scrimmage and after contact, how many yards do they get? It's the same thing with hockey. And, you know, being able to get in the way of a player, I mean, that's, that's a part of the fabric of the game. And, you know, we've done so much, in my view, of, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, blows to the head, you know, th those types of predatory hits, those types of plays that you know, are, are really, really dangerous have been eliminated from the game. But body checking is still a part of the game. There's still going to be a, a developing aspects of body checking, just like there has been in football with tackling and, 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 and hitting in football. But, you know, to, to, to try to now assess players, without physical contact and without body checking and try to project that to the NHL, hmm. tell you what, that would become incredibly, incredibly difficult for any uh, scout. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, finally, we get out before we get into some individual players, your thoughts on uh, some um, CHL players dropping down as they've been uh, allowed to do and go play on some junior A teams, effectively taking somebody else's spot. This is all very difficult, and it's all, it's it's very much a moving target. And I guess you know people are trying to to find places to play. But what is your thoughts on the whole shuffling of uh, players to different leagues for right now? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I understand it from the Western Hockey League's point of view and trying to have their players being able to participate in games and be in that competitive element, number one. And, and, and the players, their desire to play, number two. Uh, now I move on to the next part of it, right? So, like, you, you can look at it and say, well, really what's happening is, is players that might not be at the top of uh, the pyramid are the ones that are being affected to the greatest extent. And that's true because the players that get affected are the players that, that maybe get pushed out because of these players coming into the league. And people say, well, you know what? It's not, but those are players that had, have 
goals and dreams, and they might be a younger player. They might be a player still in the developing stages. So that opportunity is taken away from them. You know, one of the things that I believe in, especially when you're hockey, is so much a part of the community, and, and the community gets behind the team. And, like, you know, you, you bring in a player, and you say, okay, we have player, like, you know, whoever it is. And does the community really get behind that player, knowing that player is going to be gone at the first opportunity? Yeah, it's nice to say you watched them, but you don't get that. Secondly, to that point is, you know, I understand that you're trying to put the best product out on the ice to try to maximize your revenues. There's, there's, there's very limited fans in the building. Mm -hmm. So that profit motive goes out the window. But that being said, I, I, I think it's a very difficult scenario for everybody. You want to provide opportunity for younger players. You want to provide, uh, uh, you know, the WHL teams want to make sure that their players are playing prior to coming back and playing in the Western Hockey League. We have seen teams that are saying, we're not going to have those players come and play for us. We've seen mm -hmm. other teams that embrace it. And, and perhaps, you know, you can understand, hey, listen, a, a team might not be able to attract as many players you know, th that they would uh, as they otherwise would in a normal course of a season. So, you know, they're looking at this as, as, as a way to fill out the rosters and, and development still becomes a part of it, Dean, in, with respect to you bring in top players, you bring in Dylan Gunther to come and play with your junior A players. I mean, those players get an opportunity to play with and against them in practice, and they can develop. So I, I don't think there's a hard and fast answer. I, I, I respect the teams that uh, th that are allowing uh, players to come in and play. I also respect the teams that are saying, no, we're, you know, those, these aren't players that are part of our, uh, our plan or our future going forward. So we're going to continue to give the opportunity to those other players. I, I really don't think there's a right or a wrong. There's there, there's certainly some opinions that are strong, both sides. But really, to me, I think we have to understand where everybody is at and understand that these are unprecedented times all around. That's the one thing is that uh, this is such a, a strange uh, situation. Well, one player that is on a, a junior A team that's not getting his roster spot bumped out by anybody is uh, one of the guys we're going to start with, Corson Kulamins uh, of Brooks. And can can you tell the story? You told me the story a while back about you know him coming into Brooks as a fourteen year old and not looking out of place at all. Well, you, you know, it was he he was a he was a high well not high he would have been a high pick in the uh, Western Hockey League Bantam draft if he hadn't declared that he was going to go play uh, NCAA, committed to Wisconsin. So after he, it, you know, after his Bantam year, he goes and plays midget. Well, you're not allowed to play junior hockey uh, uh, beyond five games until your midget season is ended. But that's what happened with Corson. And Ryan Papawano, the general manager and coach, and a, and a very good manager and a very strong coach with Brooks, you know, ha had a, had a, championship caliber team uh, in Brooks. And, you know, they he, he knew how good Corson was. The players had some, some understanding of how good he was. But Ryan went to his key group of players and he said, listen, we can bring in this young player here. He's really good. But to bring him in, he's not just going to come in and watch. He's capable of being in our top four defensemen. But that means somebody's going to be displaced. And that means somebody... Uh, we'll have less ice time and somebody will be pushed out of the lineup. But by going to his group of leaders and his key players, 
they all said, no, if this player can help us, we're all for it. And so th they embraced it. And now he came in there and then Corson did the rest on the ice. I mean, uh, we'll talk about what he is as a player, but that team went on and won the national championship. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so it wasn't like Corson was coming on to a team that, uh, you know, was just middling or had aspirations. It, it was a championship caliber team that won a championship. Corson came in and played top four minutes on that Brooks Bandits team. That is so impressive. So, so let's discuss a little bit about what you see in him moving forward. There's obviously, you know, bottom pairing, middle pairing, top pairing defenseman, and then there's the number one type of defenseman. And we've talked about it in the past. Uh, for me, and and I think for you to be a number one defenseman, you got to play in every situation. You got to be able to shut down. You got to be able to score. You got to be able to kill penalties. You got you could run a power play. Is this this guy? Is he is he that top pairing number one potential defenseman? I think he is, uh, Dean. And, you know, it's really interesting to me. I, a couple of years ago in the draft, watching Bo Byram play, I'm just, mm. geez, this is a number one defenseman. And, you know, rarely do I, uh, you know, label a player as a number one because, to your point, I think you have to be able to have a real strong grasp of, of all the areas of the game. And, you know, so, so I'm, I can say top pair. But to say a number one, you have to have those. I saw it in Bo Byram. I saw it uh, in this previous draft with Jamie Drysdale. And, and as I'm evaluating this coming draft, I'm starting to, starting to see more and more of those players that might have that. And, and, and I think it speaks a lot to development. Younger ages, it's not just you're going to play on the power play. You're going to play on the power play. You're a key part of the offensive attack. Oh, yeah, by the way, you, you, we need you to kill penalties and be really good in the defensive zone because we know the less time we spend in our defensive zone, the better off we're going to be offensively. So I think that the younger defensemen are, are learning this much earlier in their careers as they're coming up. So they're much more capable of doing that. So when, when you say a number one defenseman, I think Corson possesses all the qualities to be that. I mean, that's skating, that's making plays in the offensive zone, that's being able to shut down the play in the defensive zone, be part of the transition, all important elements of a number one defenseman. The other thing that stands out for me with Corson is – his IQ is exceptional, and, and, and with it, there's just this calm about his game. You know, other play, we, we hear the term they can slow the game down, mm -hmm. and I don't, I, I don't know, like I think we're all talking about the same thing, but, but, but I think it's what I call a quiet mind. He, he, he doesn't get racing in his head about, you know, I, I can do this or I can do that. They understand the play, they read the play exceptionally well, and then they just let the skills take over and then they're able to to make those plays that are significant and you know the the calm the poise the ability to to understand okay what's the next play that has to be made after i make this play a lot of players can make that first play but are they ready to take advantage of that play to be in position for the second and third play after that Corson Kuhlemans has those abilities and you know he can thread the needle with a pass he can shoot the puck he can skate and yeah, I think he's a, a terrific, terrific prospect who has the makings of being a number one defenseman. Dean. Well, I think a perfect example, and by no means am I comparing this player to this player, but of, of slowing that game down. 
if you ever watch Nick Lidstrom, it, that's exactly what he was able to do. Never panicked and, and always was ready for the, the next move. Very rarely did he make a wrong first move, but just those kind of defensives <laughs> you can look at and say, that's that uh, slowing down of, of that game. And, 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 you know, by no means am I saying Corson Kuhlman's is going to be a Nick Lidstrom, but that's the, the kind of the, the type of game I think that people are uh, referring to. Um, okay. Very is, fair. Very fair, Dean. Okay, good stuff. Sticking in Sweden now, as I went with Nick Lidstrom, let's talk about Fabian Lysel, uh, who seems to be a goal scorer and already has three <laughs> goals this year. But you look at all his numbers, and he's always seems to be scoring goals. Yeah, well, there's a reason he always scores goals. Number one, he knows how to get open at the right times. Number two, he's got he's got fantastic puck skills. He can corral the puck in tight spaces. He can corral the what I like to call tough pucks. You know, not every pass is going to be perfect. In fact, very few passes are perfect. So you got to be able to corral a pass and be able to get it into position where you can not only get it off your stick, but pose a real threat for the goaltender. Fabian does that. And number three, he's got a hunger to score goals. And when you watch all those elements come together on the ice and number number of opponents that are trying to mark him and they know we better we better be aware of Fabian Lysel because he's dangerous and yet despite the, the the opposition's best efforts to mark him and keep him in check he, he understands how to get open and take advantage and that's what elite goal scorers do and I you, you know when, when when you watch him in and around the net he can he, he can score in and around the net he gets open he doesn't let himself get checked easily when you want to score goals, you have to be able uh, to to do those things, and he he does it as well as as anybody in this upcoming draft. I mean, he's a, he he really is a, a high end talent. I think that's such a great uh, comment that you made about uh, you know a lot of guys can look really good when you're getting in the All Star Game skills competition passes from Adam Oates, right? And you're you're doing those kind of shots, but well, when the puck is maybe a little bit behind you or up in the air or some bouncing a little bit, a guy that has the skills to be able to take a bad pass and put it away, imagine what he can do with a good pass. That's that's a really underrated skill, I think, that doesn't get talked about a lot with a, with a lot of goal scorers. I think. Yeah, and, and it's an important element. And, and so as we talk about translating skills to the NHL, Dean, so when, when you're at the levels below, the passes aren't going to be anywhere near as good as you can mm. expect at the NHL level. So you, if, if you're not able to take good passes and what I call, you know, tough pucks and corral them at the lower levels, you know, wh why is there a belief that you're going to be able to do it at the higher levels? And, you know, if you can't think your way through the challenges that an opponent is, is presenting you, it only becomes that much harder at the, at, 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 the, at the NHL level. And so when I watch Fabian Lysel play, I see him always being able to work through those challenges. I see him being able to handle those tough pucks. And, you know, it's not just being able. I, I think there's three key elements to goal scoring. Number one, it's getting open at the right time. It's not about just racing somewhere. You, you got to be open at the right time. Number two, you have to be able to take a tough pass. You have to get a puck, get it cleanly on your stick. And whether it's a perfect pass or not, that's number two. Number three, you have to be able to now, once you have that puck, 
you know, confront the challenges in front of you, a player trying to put a stick on a puck, a player trying to block a shot. And then once you've done those three things, now you got to beat the goalie. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have to, whether that's with a quick release, an accurate shot, velocity, deception, or whatnot, those are four elements of goal scoring. And if you don't have them, you're going to be less and less of a goal scorer at the, the less you have of them. In fact, if you, if, you, if, you, if you don't get open at the right times, you can forget about being a goal scorer. You're never going to get the puck. So Fabian Lysel, he possesses those qualities, and that's why he's one of the best goal scorers in the 2021 draft. Craig joins us on the UFFS hotline. Scouting is the lifeblood of the Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports platform. It's how franchises acquire players, and uh, we are pleased to have Craig as the uh, president of scouting for high-level scouting. And Corson Kuhlemans is one of the players that you recommended, one of them that uh, high-level scouting was able to grab, so glad to be talking about him here. And just maybe a a scouting question for you, Craig, about, uh, you know, not everybody gets to watch all these players uh, in person so some of them are watching it on TV maybe during the World Juniors there's still some things you can learn from watching a player on TV you might not be able to watch him away from the puck all the time but you can you can maybe see how a defenseman places angles or maybe how a player gets a shot off quickly there, there's still a lot of ways you can learn about a player from watching him during a game on TV as opposed to live isn't there Oh, absolutely there is Dean and you know it's it's another aspect of, of evaluating a player one of the things that I really like to do is once I've watched players live and with the advent of video and so much of it in high quality video is, you, you know, sometimes in the course of a game, you go, did I see that? Mm-hmm. You know, and I might make a note, go check it. I, I think of the, and then you go back and watch it on video and you go, yeah, he did. He did turn his hands over to show a little bit of deception or geez, he was a little bit slow reacting to that play. So it really helps me having watched them live and how I go back. But in the absence of being able to watch them live, uh, you can go and you can watch how they pass the puck. You can watch how they how they break to an opening. You know, a lot of good players at the at levels in the scouting ranks when you're watching players at, at the levels below where you're scouting them, you know, a lot of players, you know, they understand how to get open and they do get open, but they might not be playing with other players that can get them the puck. But just because he didn't get the puck, you can see some of that thinking that goes with it, right? And that understanding of how to get open. And then, you, then you've got to start to assess, okay, let's continue to watch this. And if he ends up with good players, is he going to be able to get the puck more and be able to take advantage of those skills? Conversely, a player that skates well and shoots well, that is always racing ahead of the play, it goes offside, you know, doesn't understand when to get open, finds himself constantly in the same places on the ice with nowhere to go. Those are things you can clearly see on video and things that have to become part of your evaluation. I also think goaltenders are a great opportunity to watch on video how they move, you know, where they're at, where they might be a little bit compromised. And, and I think you can work on it not only in terms of evaluating their skill level, but also where they, where they are at in their technical competency at that point in time and trying to talk to goaltending instructors and goaltending development coaches. How much can we work with this goaltender to get them better? Is that a, is that a fundamental a flaw or is that something that's a developmental flaw and the developmental flaws you, you you can work on fundamental flaws aren't as easy 
uh, to correct. In fact, they, they become almost, you almost have to accept them rather than be able to develop them to any great extent. So watching on video provides great opportunity for evaluation of players in a lot of different areas and all at, at all positions. Well, that is good stuff. And Craig, as mentioned, joins us on the UFFS hotline. Check it out at uffsports.com and get in the game where you own the game as a scout. All right, another defenseman that we're chatting about now. And it's interesting. He was born in Russia, but uh, has been in uh, at least the uh, Toronto, Ontario area uh, for uh, quite a few years now and played in the OHL. And, and is it Daniil Chayka? Is that how you say it? Chayka. Chaika. All right. So tell us about Daniil Chaika, the defenseman. Well, you, you know, where do I start? I, I mean, you know, this draft, I'm going to start on a general theme. This draft uh, has a lot of defensemen at the top end of it and a lot of defensemen that have size. And whether mm. that be Corson Kuhlman, who we talked about, whether it be Owen Power, whether it be Brant Clark, whether it be Simon Edvinson, and now we get into Daniil Chaika, just to name a few. He, he's six foot three. He can skate. He's got exceptional skating ability, forward, backward mobility, agility, leverage. And he uses that in so many different areas uh, to, to take advantage defensively, to take advantage offensively. And, and those are, to me, really significant attributes for a defenseman to possess. He passes the puck well. He, he understands where the puck has to go. A lot of times, Daniil, like I ask myself this question about Daniil at times. Is he capable of doing more offensively than he's done? He can shoot the puck well. He passes well. I don't think he's ever going to be a big-time offensive player. But I think because of the way he under, his, because of his understanding of the game and the way he distributes the puck, that puck comes clean off his stick the zone in transition and in the offensive zone I think he's got a really good grasp of what his strengths are and he does he doesn't do things that get himself in, into spots where he has to do more and you know I don't know is that 35 points in the NHL is that 40 points you know th that that's kind of where I see him but we're talking about a defenseman that's big competitive, smart, skates well, and is going to be able to gobble up a lot of minutes. And, you know, again, we talk about number one defenseman. I don't see him as a number one. I see him as certainly having the potential to be a top pair defenseman. And at the very least, a number three defenseman, at the very least. He's just too good, too competitive. And that 0-2 group of Russian defensemen, uh, the 2002-born group of defensemen, and that 2002 born group of Russian players overall. It's an outstanding group. They mm -hmm. won the U-17. Uh, you know, the, they were favorites to win the U-18. They won the Holinka Gretzky. There's going to be a number of players that have a chance to be on the Russian junior team. You know, Shakir Mukhamadulin, Daniel Chaika, you know, Askarov, the goaltender, you know, uh, who's not Dean off. I mean, these are, these are the players that have made up the O2 group. And, and, and now they're going to be counted upon, in my view, to be a part of the, uh, of the O1 world junior team. But Chaika fits right into that group and he's smooth, competitive, and he can be a real pillar on your blue line.
Yeah, and, and guys that uh, are great passers and, and have great instincts, you know, they don't always get the 60 points, but they are uh, a high, this guy could be a high-end number three defenseman that, uh, you know, can oh, chip in yeah. that uh, middle-of-the-road points. Not everybody's going to be a 65-70 point defenseman, but still, these guys are so, so valuable uh, to your team. Um, how about a guy, we talked about a goal scorer earlier in Lysel. Uh, let's move to Cole Sillinger now of the uh, Medicine Hat Tigers, <laughs> and, you know, when he scored 22 goals. I think he had 22 goals. This is like a 16-year-old in the WHL. That speaks um, that speaks volumes about your potential, does it not? Yes, it does. And you know, Cole ended up getting an injury and missed some games. He, he was he was a pointed game player, and you know was only going to be that much better as the season went on. And you know, exceptional hockey sense. He, you know, he, he's a player that isn't going to race up and down the ice and, you know, catch you with this draw with this jaw dropping speed or jaw dropping puck skill dangling, but you know, it, the puck moves and the mm. play moves forward and, and, and he's dangerous and he makes plays that create opportunities for his teammates. He's good around the net. And, you know, you know, when you first start to watch players, Dean, you, you, you kind of go, okay, like with a name like Sillinger, you know, you draw, you start to, you know, maybe you, you look at his dad, Mike, who had a long NHL career, and you start to try to assess, okay, let's see what he's got. And you can watch the skating. And is it exceptional? No. But is it good? Yeah, it's real good. But the game starts to unfold, and you start to watch it more and more and more. And you start, to, well, geez, he's got the puck all the time. Oh, boy, the puck's coming to him again. Oh, who just made that pass? Oh, that's Cole. Oh, who got that score? Not Cole. You know, they show up always at the right times. They show up in the right places, right? He, he's got really terrific puck skills, not only in being able to shoot the puck, be able to handle the puck in tight areas. He's got a good shot. Obviously, you're always going to be able to improve your shot. But because he he understands the game so well, he, he's another player that becomes really difficult to mark because he's got a change of pace where he can beat you, but but he's not always racing. So you, you're not sure, it, okay, is he gonna is he gonna go by me? Is he gonna is he gonna stop and hold up? Okay, what do I do now? And he's always thinking two and three steps ahead. So when when he has the puck and you think I'm gonna step up on you. He's thinking, yeah, that's what I want you to do because I'm mm -hmm. going to put the puck on the guy racing right here. He reads the game exceptionally well. He understands the game exceptionally well. And to me, he's, he's got NHL written all over him. Yeah, well, he grew up around the game as well, so uh, it seems more and more we're seeing those guys, and I'm excited to uh, uh, see what uh, Cole yeah. can do. Uh, all right, let's wrap up with uh, Matthew uh, Beniers, uh, who is uh, uh, an American player that – turns 18 actually on Thursday. So on happy early birthday uh, to him. And uh, like some of the other guys we've talked about, when you look at some of the numbers with him, he can put the puck in the net. Uh, going to the University of Michigan and played with the U.S. National Development Program, which is a really strong program uh, for development, uh, as uh, stating the obvious. So what do you like about this player? 
Well, you know, Dean, I lived in Ann Arbor for 12 years, and so I was always over at season tickets at the University of Michigan. Saw some great players play there, you know, from Brendan Morrison. We drafted Marty Turco, the all-time winningest goaltender in NCAA history. And and the number of great players that have come out of uh, Michigan, you know, Zach Wierenski, a, a recent example, Kyle Connor in Winnipeg. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really anxious about – uh, the the opportunity perhaps to be able to go into Yost Ice Arena and watch this year because it's Owen Power, <laughs> who could mm-hmm. be the first overall pick. It's Kent Johnson from British BCAHL, who's a terrific, and we'll talk about him in future uh, Tracking the Draft podcast episodes. And now we're going to talk about Matt Beneers. I mean, Matt played at the National Team Development Program. He's 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 a player that's got a really well-rounded, gifted game. He, he can play with power. He can play with skill. He can play on the left wing. He can play on the right wing. He's played some center ice at different times when, when it's been required. He can shoot the puck. He can make plays. And, you, you know, you watch these types of players that are really complete. And that's what I would call Matt. You know, sometimes you don't have the appreciation, and, and maybe that's the wrong way of, of describing it. Sometimes you don't put a high enough emphasis and value on that complete game because really ultimately what it comes down to, Dean, is the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And the parts are really, really good. But when you put it all together, and you start to think, where can he play in your lineup? Everywhere. What situation can he play in the game? Every one, those are valuable players. And, you know, you watch him, will he be an 80-point guy in the NHL? I don't think so, but I think that he's going to be a player that good players are going to want to play with, that's going to help good players be that much better, and ultimately he's going to help your team, uh, you know, attain significant success collectively. Well, we've talked about so many of these type of players going back to to season one where, you know, on their own, like you said, they might not be the number one player on their team, but they fit in so well that that superstar player says, I want him on my line. Uh, You know, you you talked about Yuri Lettinen being that guy with the Dallas Stars with Mike Medano, right? Like these guys on their own might not be the top, but with somebody else, they're that ingredient that maybe was just missing or just clicks. Well, yeah, and, and if I'm just going to use Yerry Lettinen as an example. If I go back in time and I start to do the timeline of Yerry Lettinen, so we drafted Yerry in the fourth round. Matty Vizenin, a longtime scout in the NHL, very instrumental in, in, in uh, the Edmonton Oilers' success in drafting mm-hmm. Europeans and some Finnish players, oh, by the name of Curry and Tikkanen, <laughs> <laughs> amongst others. Maddie was and Maddie was instrumental in, in 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 our ability to to draft Yeri and really push for him. But so Yeri plays in TPS Turco f- with with one of the great coaches internationally, Vladimir Yerzinov. And you know the he plays with Saku Koivu. And then on the national and they were good. And then on the junior team, we all know about the Huey Dewey and Louie line, or maybe we don't. And the Huey Dewey Louie line was Pelton and Koivu Lettinen. And so they played on the junior team. They played at, uh, on the national team. They have their numbers retired. They win a world championship together in 1995. Yeri comes over to the National Hockey League, wins a Stanley Cup, wins three Selkie trophies. And 
it, it wasn't just what he did for Mike Medano. It's what he did for everybody <laughs> along the line, right? And so when we talk about Matt Beneers and that type of a player, those that, that's the value of that player. Just and, and they just go and play. They just go and play, Dean. Doesn't matter what where the game is being played. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. They're just playing, and it's stop me if you can. And when you look back on it and you look at all the key moments in a game, whether it be a penalty kill, the right pass, a key goal, a key, uh, a, a, a key block, a key defensive opportunity, they're always right there in the middle of it. And I think Matt has that type of uh, quality to his game as well. Wonderful stuff as usual, Craig. Uh, scouting and stories. I absolutely love it. Uh, thanks so much for your time this week, and we'll chat next Wednesday. We will. Thanks, Dean. This is a serious message. Craig Button joins us on the Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports Hotline. Become a scout and make money while providing prospects to the Ultimate Franchise Hockey League. Pay that man his money. I'm your huckleberry. Check out the details at www.uffsports.com. It's serious. I like it a lot. I said we gotta win it. UFFS, you own the game. Well, we had a little mini Craig's Council segment there talking about what to watch for when um, scouting players off of TV. And I like that Craig uh, goes back and, and is able to look at different things. Uh, so there certainly are ways. And we're going to give you other Craig's Council tips when it comes to scouting. We did an entire episode of uh, scouting tips and stories to end season one. And uh, we're going to do that from time to time throughout different episodes, small tips, things might just pop up. But if you do have a specific question for Craig that you would like to know about, uh, whether it's on the scouting side or maybe it's a past story because he has a lot of them, send me an email tracking the draft at gmail.com and uh, we will add it to the list of topics that we have received. Uh, that'll wrap up another episode of tracking the draft with craig button uh, from tsn he is the director of scouting and a former gm and we certainly appreciate his time and his knowledge hope you enjoyed the show if you did please leave us a review let us know what you think what you think we can improve and what you really like and if you'd like to be a part of the show as an advertiser, uh, hit me up, trackingthedraft at gmail.com. Uh, for Craig Button, who is the Director of Scouting at TSN, my name is Dean Millard. Thank you so much for joining us on Tracking the Draft, where the stars of tomorrow are discovered. Have a good week. We'll talk to you in seven days.